morning. Oh, man. Uh, people have asked me all along, it's like, uh, how much did we raise, how much did we raise? And I really have had no idea as far as how much we've raised almost till this morning. And, uh, man, so job well done. Thank you all for the participation, the 1.5. I was so impressed. And how about the job Paul and his team have done leading us in the campaign? They've done an amazing job. Very grateful for those folks. Um, uh, Pleasant View, we're so proud of you guys. I hear you all won like a Booth Award last uh, yesterday uh, down there in your community and uh, those in the chapel. We're glad you're here as well. Lord, thank you so much for the morning. Pray you'd hide me deep in your cross today and that we would, um, we would know that we've heard from you. And Lord, uh, what we're talking about, uh, we, we really, we know it's real. And to be honest with you, it's so real that we try to avoid it because it's real and scary, I think, for some of us. And so uh, I'm convinced that some of what we're going to be dealing with in the next few moments um, is every day for some people that are going to be listening. And so I pray that you would move in a mighty way. And in order for that to happen, Lord, we're acknowledging complete and utter dependence upon you. So have your way, not just in the community, but in us as individuals in this room. The different battles we're fighting, I pray you'd have your way. And, uh, and we'll give you praise, for you're a good God. It's in your name. Amen. Uh, can you all recall that time as kids, or those times as kids, when you crawled into bed? And uh, you'd crawl into bed, and then, like, they'd turn the lights out. And so you have this, like, moment of uh, fear and anticipation. You sit there, with the, you know, would lay there with the blankets up over your head. Maybe mom came in and kissed you goodnight, or maybe they hollered from the TV room, goodnight, you know, whatever it was. And you just lay there in bed, and you got all the lights off, and the blankets are up here around your neck. And then you start listening to the room. And there's really nothing in the room, but you listened, didn't you? It's like, is there something in the closet? Did I hear something like a mouse or, or you know, roaches, depending on where you grew up? You know, I, what, what is that exactly in the closet that I'm hearing? Is like a growl or something over there? What is that? And then you eventually get yourself convinced, well, there's something in the closet. It's probably not going to come over here. And if it comes over here, I'm going to have time to get away from it because I'm going to hear it. But then you think, is that something under the bed? Did I just feel something poke me? You know, is there something under the bed? And you really want to look under the bed, but you're afraid if you do look, It'll grab you and suck you under, you know, that kind of thing. So we have that moment of being afraid of whatever it is that's in the room. And it sounds like something's in the closet, especially if you have an active imagination like some of us or what they diagnose as ADHD now. But if it, whatever you have, like the active imagination thing, you can really kind of run with that a long time. Think, man, there's something in this room. And it's an insecure feeling. And thankfully, someone along the way invented the nightlight, <laughs> kind of chase all the boogeyman's away sort of thing. And even though we become adults, and we learn those fears are unreasonable, I don't think we ever grow out, the fa grow out of the fascination with what is unknown. I think we still find ourselves engaged by what is dark and what is the other side, if you will. We're curious about what's out there or under the proverbial bed. That's something we're all sort of wrestling with. And it's kind of interesting because the Bible has a great deal to say about what's under the bed, so to speak. It has this great deal to say about what we call dark forces in our world and about light forces in our world. The Bible talks about that a lot. And according to Scripture, one force is led by this personality, the dark force is led by this personality that the Bible simply calls like the father of lies or the accuser or, the, or Satan or, or the devil. That's one force. And then Jesus apparently leads this other force. And Jesus has said that he comes so that he could give us life, not just life, but life on steroids, you know, an abundant, abundant kind of life. And the Bible describes the dynamic, the dynamic of these two forces in our world in incredibly strange terms. This is from the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. It's a real church. Paul's a real dude, and he wrote this real letter. And here's what he said. Our struggle isn't against enemies of blood and flesh. 
but it's actually against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, let me just put this in your lap, if you will. (laughs) Your struggle this week, whatever it is that you have went on in your life, the ups and the downs, the points of tension that you had in your life this week, it's not against a physical thing. That's not the real struggle. But your real struggle has actually been against something else. It's against, uh, not the enemies of blood and flesh, but it's actually against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. That's been going on in your life. It's been going on in my life this week. So when it feels like we're at war with people or we're in, with our physical circumstance, and you kind of work and you're saying, well, that guy's a jerk, or that girl just doesn't treat right, or whatever, you think all that. Paul says there's actually something bigger going on. And it has a whole lot more to do with what came across your desk or your work site or your home this week. The bigger battle that's taking place is actually a spiritual battle. And what you and I are engaged in is we're actually fighting symptoms of that spiritual battle. Doesn't that mess with you? So I'm actually fighting these symptoms if I'm just focused on a, on a physical thing. So the enemy, that's the accuser, or Satan has an agenda in my life, and he has an agenda in your life, according to what scriptures say. You don't have to buy this. I'm just telling you, this is what the scriptures say. And the scriptures say that the agenda of that enemy is actually to do steal, kill, kill, and destroy. That's his agenda. That's what he's trying to do. Jesus comes to say, I want to give an abundant life. And when I say that and sort of paint this picture of dark force and light force, we almost think, well, Satan and God must be like equal opposites. But that's not true at all. And it's important you kind of get this. It's not, that's not this relationship. Satan isn't the opposite of God. Satan's the opposite of an angel. Okay? That, that's what Satan is. And an angel and God aren't equal. Um, Satan's not all-powerful. He is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Satan's not all-knowing. He's smart, incredibly intelligent. He's smarter than you are, smarter than me. And he's not all present, but apparently him and all his little hordes of whatever are also are around everywhere. So here's what we kind of take away, and that's, that's an important thing. Satan is smarter and stronger than any of us are. He is. And he's at work right now to deceive and trap and trip you up. That's what his agenda is today for your life. And what this means is this. Let me just be as frank and honest and speak from experience, as some of you, I hope, will be able to give testimony to, on our own, Satan will slaughter you. You aren't bad enough. And I mean bad enough like in good. You're not not that person. I'm not either. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're not rich enough. We can't control our own destinies enough. We get slaughtered. Keep in mind, in Scripture, Satan's called the prowling lion and the predator. You, you're called sheep. And sheep never wins with the lion, ever. The lion always wins. And that's kind of the way the scripture sets, sets this up. So let's, let's stand for closing prayer. I mean, aren't, aren't you glad you came to church today? So far it's been incredibly encouraging, has it not? So, well, let's pause and sort of orient ourselves for the rest of our time together and say, okay, most of what I've said so far, you probably have heard something like that before. Nothing really earth-shattering. Um, it's sobering, but, but nothing earth-shattering. But here's the thing I wonder about, and see if you can join me on this. If you believe what I've said so far, if you believe that what's in Scripture is actually true, and if I'm aware, 
of Satan. And you're aware of Satan. And we understand that he actually has designs for me. He actually wants to trip me up. Here's the question. If I know all that, how does he keep jacking up my life? If I know it, I know what he's trying to do. How does he keep jacking up my life? Why do people I love keep going back to destructive patterns in their lives? Why was there a period of time when I did that exact same thing? Why does our culture experience the same patterns of destruction over and over and over again? I am convinced you do not ever have to watch news again. I promise you. All you have to do is watch what happened 15 years ago for about a six-week period, and that's exactly what's happening today. It's the same thing. Nothing new. You never watch your news and think, oh, I never heard that before. You always watch your news and say, I can't believe that happened again. Because there's nothing new. Let me just kind of share what I see in the news. See if this, none of this will surprise you. But if it does, just rock stars die of drug overdoses. Politicians fall to power grabs no matter the cost. Hollywood marriages don't last. Financiers create Ponzi schemes. Sexual harassment. Anybody ever heard of that before? Of course you have. It's all nothing new. Not only is it in our news feed, but it's also in our neighborhoods. Here's kind of my analogy. And as I was reworking the notes, I was thinking, this is one I probably shouldn't use. But I'm going to anyway. Okay, so here's kind of where I am on this. If I see a poisonous snake, I'm not going to pick up the poisonous snake. You know why? I'm intelligent. Okay, I'm smart. You don't pick up a poisonous snake because it's going to bite you. And then everybody at church is going to know the pastor got bit by a poisonous snake. So you're not going to pick up a poisonous snake. Everybody with me so far? I know I'm going to blow your minds with the intelligence of this. So why do so many people... And even people in this room, not just the people we passed on the way to church, but why do so many people in our families and in our lives end up destroying their lives with things like, oh, I don't know, porn? Or things like a, a substance? Or how about habitual affairs or dishonest gain? Now, here's the thing. We all have this list of names in our circle for people that have fallen in each of those categories. Is that fair? We all have a list of names. We could say, well, I know so-and-so who did that, and I know that. And yet, do you have anybody in your list of names that's been bitten by a poisonous snake? You know, maybe one, maybe two in the room. I don't know, something like that. But we all have names of people that have fallen to these other things. And yet, we tend to avoid the snake, but we flirt around with the other stuff. Why is that? What's happening? I mean, why are we all suckers for the same destructive pathways that have been part of the human race since its beginning? Doesn't that seem like a question we should ask? Why is that? That's kind of what I want to go after today. See, as Christians, just for clarity, you don't have to fear being possessed by demons or by some, Satan's, some of Satan's representatives. You don't have to be afraid of that as a Christian. God and Satan can't be in the same place, and that's because Satan's a defeated coward, and he knows it, and God can't tolerate sin. They can't be in the same place. But here's the reality. While you can't be possessed by evil forces, make no mistake, Christian, you can be oppressed by an evil force. <laughs> Make no mistake, that can happen in your life, and no doubt you've probably sensed that at times. He can't own you, but he can certainly be a pain in your areas and oppress you, and he can oppress me. Of course he can. Even good Christian people like us. 
So I want to know this. How does Satan oppress me and the people I love and the people I lead? So I want to look at a passage we looked at last week. This is the verse right before the passage we looked at last week. If you missed, it's all online. You can check it out. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Just being honest, I don't like this verse. Because what I really want it to say is this. Finally, Tom, bow up in your own strength and take the bull by the horns. I really want the Bible to say that about me. I want the Bible to say, Tom, you can control this, you can manage this, and you can defeat this. But it doesn't say that. What the Bible actually says is, be strong, what? In the, and in his mighty power. Not just power, but mighty power. Like That's like power on steroids. Now, immediately that bothers me, but the strength required to stand against whatever that we're talking about apparently isn't in you, and apparently it's not in me. It's only found in the Lord, but this is also good news. Because whatever God is getting ready to tell us to do next, he's going to give us the power and strength to do it, according to this verse. I'm just taking the Bible at what it says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, there's those two words I want to look at. The first thing is that word stand. I get nervous when we Christians pray like we're going to forcefully advance against the evil one, blah, blah, all that stuff. Because the scripture doesn't say that. <laughs> scripture says you put on the armor so you can just stand. You can resist. You can stand strong and stand true. So it's not about an aggressive thing. It's not about Tom riding a white horse and swinging, you know, whatever to have power. It's nothing about that. It's just to help us stand where to stand. Now, the other word in this thing that really gets me is the word scheme. And this is what I want to kind of make you aware of today, if you don't already know. It's the same word we get the English word method from. The exact same word. Methodology or method. And not only that, this particular word has a military connotation so the schemes would be used to describe things like strategy, military strategy, and military assault. Now here's the thing you need to know. Satan has two general ideas for how he's going to attack the world, and I'm going to share those with you. But what you need to know is the schemes that he is launching are unique to you in your life. He's coming after you at a personal level. That's what he's trying to do. So here's where we are so far. The devil has this invasion plan, this battle plan that he's designed for you. It's uniquely crafted to take you down, to take me down. Have you experienced this? Everybody with me so far? That's kind of the plan. And you say, Tom, that's sort of ridiculous. How in the world does Satan know that we, I'm even here? How does he have a unique plan for me and every one of us? And I don't know the answer to that. But let me tell you something that freaks me out. I get in my car, and I get ready to come to church. And my phone tells me. I didn't tell my phone where I was going. But my phone tells me, Tom, you have 12 minutes to get to church. This week I got in the car, it said, Tom, you will take 16 minutes because Farmer Leroy's bailing hay this week before you get to church. I'm just kidding about the last part. So my phone knows where I'm going before I know where I'm going, so I just get ticked off. I go to the coffee shop, just, nah, 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 just to kind of tell that. How about this? Anybody ever shopped for something online 
and then found that this, like your advertisements on Facebook and everywhere else bring that topic up? How does that happen? I don't know. But I figure if Facebook can do it, Satan can probably do it. And that's what's happening. So apparently someone stronger than me, smarter than me, has a specific plan to bring me down. And apparently the only hope I have is to stand, to stand in the face of that plan is this armor of God. And you think, Tom, why in the world would you need armor? Well, here comes the reason. Because you don't struggle against flesh and blood, people. You don't struggle against flesh and blood. Come on, Christians, you can live eyes wide open here. It's not that struggle. It's against rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces. Our struggle isn't just physical. Our struggle is also spiritual. So the cause of why we need armor, according to Scripture, is this. You ready? You and I are involved in a spiritual battle every day. And there are two ways a battle can go. Victory or defeat. Therefore, put on the what kind? Full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, not just in case, not just for pastors, for everybody. When the day of evil comes, you'll be able to, here's our word, stand your ground. And after you have done everything, you're still going to be standing. So if the desired effect is to stand in the face of a spiritual battle, Apparently, according to Scripture, we need this armor business, not of ourselves, but of God. What's the armor? Well, here's what it looks like. Stand firm, then, with with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, uh, belt of truth, you know, Scripture and what that says, breastplate of righteousness. This is who God has made me. I am right in Him and only in Him. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Faith, I am confident that God is who he says he is and you can do everything he promised to do with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation. I love that that is up around protecting the head. (laughs) I love that that has something to do with knowledge because there are times that I'm not sure I'm saved. Anybody else? I probably shouldn't have said that as your pastor now that I think about it. There are days you're like, my goodness, where did that thought come from? Lisa? No, it wasn't from her. <laughs> it's just like, my goodness. I love the helmet of salvation. It's what I know. I know I'm saved. I know I'm God's. I have that assurance and faith. And the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Did you notice in the first part of this that we're actually told to put on the full armor of God? There's no optional piece of equipment here. Soldiers don't decide to go into, arm, go into battle one day and just go armor light. They don't decide that. Because every piece matters for protection. And if you go back and look at all the pieces of the armor, you're going to serve, they all serve to protect us with truth. Every piece works together. So what's the method? What's the scheme that Satan is using in our lives? I want to tell you about the general principle. On a general level, he always uses the same two strategies all the time. And so I want you to kind of dial in and kind of see the tr- strategy he's using in your life because what he'll do is he'll tweak that strategy just for you and he'll tweak it just for me. See if you can identify this. And to get this, I want to take you all the way back to the very beginning. Why? Because it never changes. It's always been this way. 
This is the third chapter of Scripture. Okay, you can read it for yourself. It's in the very beginning. Genesis means beginning. Go back there. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, I'll just pause. Let's acknowledge this is freaky. Snakes talking would be a very disturbing moment, and they'd probably lock you up if you said that. But that's what's happening in this scripture story. He said to the woman, did God say, you know, however they would say it, I don't know, but that's kind of what I hear, like from that Lord of the Rings. But did God say, you, did it sound like the Lord of the Rings guy? I just want to know, just for a moment, I don't know. So did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the answer to that is, nope, that's not at all what God said. That's important you catch this. Because Satan is fluent and liar. That's his language. And that's what he's doing here, just like he does in your life and like he does in my life. You're never going to be happy in that marriage. Just bail. You're a better person when you're high. People like you more. Nobody's as good as you are. You're the best. You will not be loved if you don't give in. What God actually said in the previous chapter was, you can eat from any tree in the garden you want, but don't eat from the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what he said. See, Satan is tweaking God's truth. He's lying. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, which is also weird that she's talking to a snake, but we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. So far, that's true. She should have stopped there. Nor shall you touch it or you shall die. God didn't say that. Eve added to what God said. What God said was the outcome of eating from that tree is parts of you will start to die because of disobedience, not because God is going to strike you dead. So Satan has lied, Eve has lied, and now watch this, this is massive. But the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die, pshaw. It's hard for him to say pshaw because the tongue was forked, but he, you know, however you say that, pshaw. For God knows when you eat of this, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch what just happened, because this is exactly what is happening in my life and your life? Satan is accusing God of lying. Satan is saying God is a cosmic egomaniac who wants to keep all the power and the fun for himself. You don't need God to tell you how to run your life, run your relationships, run your habits, run your time, run your finances. Follow your heart. Chase your bliss, the worst advice ever written in the history of humanity. And now you can see the two main strategies Satan is using in our lives. Strategy number one, see if you see this. Satan is trying to convince us, believe something different than what God says is true about himself or his promises. See that anywhere in our culture? Satan wants me and you to believe something different than what God says is true about himself, or about his promises. Now watch, here's the second strategy that Satan uses. To believe something different than what God says is true about you. Those are the two strategies, the only two strategies he uses. And here's the flaming arrow Satan uses all the time, and he's probably using it in some of our lives right now. What God said is true isn't really true, at least for you. People come to me all the time, and they'll say, 
you know, Tom, the God I believe in would never be that way. The God I believe in would never call that sin. It's love or whatever. And if that's your argument for justifying your behavior, then respectfully, you've decided to create a God that you can actually serve, a God who's more like you, and Satan's strategies are on full display. So let's think back to that armor. If this is, this is the two strategies that are at work, believe something different than what God says is true about himself or his promises, and the other strategy is believe something different than what God says is true about you. If that's the strategy, how would you prepare to fight an enemy seeking to undermine who God is and who you are? Here's how God prepares us. He says, take the belt of truth and buckle it around your waist. It's not relative. It's just an, a reality. This is truth. Take the breastplate of righteousness, who you are because of what I have done for you, not what you've done for yourself, just as if you have never sinned. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace so you can stand. The shield of faith that you are confident in who God is and what he promises and that all going to come true. And that will allow you to extinguish all the flaming arrows that are employed in these two strategies that the evil one will send your way. The helmet of salvation. Know you are his. Know he has saved you. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is truth. That's the strategy against his strategy. Now, friends, these aren't Garden of Eden days. So most likely we're all not going to walk out of here and run into talking snakes this week. And I'm very grateful for that. But we're not going to do that. But let me tell you what you're most likely going to run into this week. Questions about who God is based on your circumstances. You're going to run into a wall. You're going to run into a trial. You're going to run into a temptation. You're going to run into a point of discouragement. And you're going to start questioning who God is based on your circumstances. You know what I've learned about myself? This may not be true for you, but I just want to confess it's true for me. I'm not really good at interpreting circumstances when I'm in the middle of them. Man, I, I, I never know my way out when I'm in the middle of something like that. So when I am in the middle of those things, though, you know what I start doing? I start asking God questions. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are they sick? Why is this going on? Why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? And what happens in those circumstances, we begin to walk, think about walk away. We'll just walk away from the whole thing. Why are you teaching? Why, why are you between me and my girlfriend? Why are you between me and my boyfriend? Why are, you be, why are you in the marriage in this conflict, what's happening right now? And what we'll try to do is we try to match up a good God in our current circumstances. And when that's difficult and we're in that position, you know what happens? Satan jumps on us. Please tell me I'm not alone. When that happens, when you are trying to figure out God in the middle of your circumstances and you're thinking about walking away, Satan pounces on you. And he attacks people on what they know and do not know about God. And if he can get you to think different things about God based on your circumstances, his strategy is working in your life. Here's the other way it's going to work this week for you. You're going to find yourself facing questions about who you are and what God said is true, says is true about you. You're going to decide to believe something about you that is counter to what God says about you. 
We call it truth because we feel it. And what we feel is actually a terrible source of truth because Satan's native tongue is liar. So the messages we'll hear from the native tongue of liar is this. Something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm damaged goods. It doesn't matter what I do now. I'm going to destroy myself because I don't feel good about myself. Go ahead, you should do that. I have feelings that I might be gay. I want to act out. I have feelings I might be straight and I want to act out. My kids have rejected me, therefore I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad person. I'm depressed. If I was a better Christian, I wouldn't be depressed. Really? Where are you getting that from? You know what else I've learned? Satan rarely uses a loudspeaker in my life. You know what he uses? And that's about all it is. It's this constant tapping. See? Told you you weren't good enough. See? Told you. You're an imposter. I told you the addiction wasn't behind you. And there are seasons when it's... But most of the time, it's just this. Tom, you have made me thoroughly depressed this morning. What's the hope? I don't have any hope to offer you, but your source of truth does. Finally, in the end, good people have a lie. In the end, good people. In the end, my people, God would say. Be strong in me and in my power. Of course you're weak. Of course you are. But I'm not. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor that I've crafted just for you. And you're going to be able to stand. Your knees aren't going to buckle. You're not going to sway. You're not going to get wiped out. No, no, no. You put on the full armor of God, and you are going to be able to stand like a rock star. I just put that in there for me. You're going to be able to stand strong, a solid rock against anything the devil throws at you. Satan's out there, friends. But make no mistake, you don't have to be afraid. You can stand, hold on to the truth of who God is and who you are, and that'll bring you peace. I want to do something weird with you now. What I want to do is I want to remind you of the truth of the two strategies that Satan will throw in your life this week, the actual truth in light of those two strategies, to get you to think differently about God, to get you to think differently about yourself. 
And um, I don't want you to try to write down what I'm getting ready to say. It's all on the, uh, if you go to livewesting.info, I had them put it on there for you. So you can go back and look at this all, all, all week long, and all the scriptures are with it, are with this. So here's what I'd like for you to do. At least consider. You don't have to do this. But if you'd like to, I would invite you to close your eyes like in a, in a position of prayer. You say, Tom, why are we doing that? Well, because I think the moment is so important that I don't want you to be distracted. That's it. And I'm not going to do anything weird other than I'm going to read this to you. And I just want to remind you of who you are according to truth. Because I suspect it may be something different than what you're hearing. So if you want to, play along. First of all, you are accepted. You're God's child. You're a disciple. You are a friend of Jesus. You've been justified. That means you've been declared righteous. You've been united with the Lord, and you are one with him in spirit. You have been bought with a price, and guess what? You belong to God. You are a member of Christ's body. You have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. You have been redeemed and forgiven of your sins. You are complete in Christ. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. Of course you're accepted. You know what else you are? You're secure. You are free from condemnation. You are assured that God works for good in all of your circumstances. You are free from any condemnation brought against you. And you cannot, cannot, cannot be separated from the love of God. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You have been hidden with Christ in God. You can be confident that God's going to complete His good work. He started in you. Guess what? You're a citizen of heaven. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. You are born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. And guess what that means? That means you are significant. You are a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine and channel of his life. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are God's temple. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. You are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. You are God's workmanship. You may approach God with freedom and confidence. And guess what? You can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. That's who you are and that's who God is. Let no one take that away from you. Jesus, these are wonderful people, and we are yours. You are our God. I'm your son. These are sons and daughters in this room. We've been adopted by you. No condemnation. No condemnation. Made righteous because of you, not because of us. And nothing can snatch that away from us. And so we pray. We pray in this moment, based upon that armor of God, we pray that you would bring home the helmet of salvation, the sword of truth, or the belt of truth, and the, and the word of God. We pray that you just, the breastplate of righteousness, that it would just fall on us as a body. I pray for my friends that are in a specific battle. And this morning, you revealed to them that battle they're in is actually the spiritual battle. That's what's taking place. And I pray that they would sense, because of your presence, that that enemy will be defeated in this area. Maybe it's a relationship thing and they know they've been fighting the battle. I pray that that battle, that they would be victorious and the enemy would be defeated. I pray for marriages in which there's just kind of some, some kind of grumbling and carrying on with each other in the home and some shortness and they know it's headed for a bad place but they don't know what it is. I pray that that enemy would be defeated and the battle be victorious because of you. I pray for my friends in the room that are living, living in a constant sense of condemnation 
they're constantly being accused, like that finger in the chest, no matter what they do, even in this moment, Satan is saying, if they only knew, if they only knew, if they only knew. I pray that the enemy would be defeated and we would be victorious because of what you have done for us in this place. You are good, you are wonderful, and we are in line faithfully following wherever you lead. In your name, amen.